This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to yet another installment of the show. I appreciate it. I have a conversation with the great Tony Dolan from Venom Inc. to share with you. Now, the catalyst for the chat is due to the launch of a new album from Venom Inc. It'll be out on September 23rd, 2022 via Nuclear Blast. It is titled there's only black and in this chat we indeed talk about how the lads derived that album title it's a very interesting story indeed elsewhere well it's a conversation with the demolition man so we take it wherever the demolition man wants to go so we talk about my recent adventures at a kiss concert songcraft creating this new album a bunch of other stuff as usual with a member of Venom Inc, it's a deep dive into some cool things that will make for a very entertaining listen. So here he is. Actually, first, what I'd like to do is play a tune for you. Don't feed me your lies. If you're listening via the podcast apps, we'll listen to that first and then dive into the chat. Of course, on YouTube, I can't do that, so we'll cut to the conversation right now. Either way, let's go.
going mate good to see you i'm so sorry i only just got my i, I only just uh, got an email from arnie at nuclear blast who said uh oh my god i was traveling and i just got all these emails and i got these interviews <laughs> and can you do them and i looked oh, down yeah. the list and and i was like oh i'm in time for your so <laughs> so i plugged straight in i'm so sorry never, never ever a drama it's really good to be catching up with you mate oh uh, yeah good nice shirt and it's good to catch up with you too How's it? How's it in my beautiful Australia, mate? It's lovely down here. It's uh, it's a bit. I'm in Queensland, and it's a bit colder here, mate, for, than what we're used to. You'd laugh at that when I say it's a bit colder. You know, being from the north, well, there, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you know. But mate, no, no complaints. I saw. I actually saw Kiss on Saturday night. Unbelievably, first time <laughs> I've ever seen them. Yeah. Oh no way! What did you think? What did you think? Well, it, look, it wasn't worth 180 bucks. I'll say that. 
no. to begin with because it just isn't. But you know that they, you know, they're choreographed, they're well rehearsed. I don't, here's the big thing. I don't think that they were miming, but I think I figured out what they might be doing, which is have yeah. their own vocals pre recorded playing at the same time. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think yeah. of that until the night and I was listening to it and going, that's way too on on point, like what Ozzy's doing. Like there must be some sort of a blend, like a hybrid of the two of them. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. They kind of, uh, I mean, they kind of, uh, yeah, they run, they, they do all their, all their backing stuff around the tracks is pre-recorded and they mm. punch that through. That's what, when people would go, oh, Stanley, uh, on the tour before when they were going, oh, you can tell he's uh, he's miming. He was actually mm. singing, but he's not putting all the power in. So the sound no. guys kind of blend it in so you get the whole the deal there. So he was yeah. still singing. It just wasn't full force. But because yeah. they've got it all pre-recorded, that kind of helps them along, you know. Mm. Yeah, it was all the hits, but they played some garbage off the two most, you know what I say, you know, the albums that have been out in the last sort of 25 odd years. You don't, to be honest, you don't need to hear them. You just, you know, play some stuff like, you know, you make me rock hard or some deep cut that is just so yeah. far. You know, so like I don't mind the unmasked stuff from the 80s. When I say unmasked, like yeah. when they took the makeup off, the Bruce Kulick stuff, I call it. I thought that had yeah, some, good, exactly. some good shit, you know. So, yeah, you know, so not, not I mean, too bad. I think I, you know, I think that's I think that's a difficulty. I was really fortunate because uh, um, I saw them at Cobo Hall in Detroit, in about seventy four, whatever, oh, uh, wow. and it was one of the first shows I'd seen in America uh, or in Canada. You know, we'd emigrated to Canada, and uh, uh, it was just spontaneous. I was out with my buddy. We came back from you know just playing around and stuff, and uh, his brother came in and said, "We're going to a concert tonight." He said, "I got you a ticket too, Tony," and I was like. Oh, okay. So I, I remember I went back and I'd seen a couple of concerts in the UK, but it was around about, you know, um, Slade and, and, and Shawadi Wadi and all that kind of mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, uh, glam rock thing in the UK mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, but I went to a, like a venue at the City Hall, seated down, you know, with my parents or my stepfather, my mum. Uh, so it was kind of sedate, kind of pop rocks, well, poppy, more poppy stuff. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to a gig. And my my mum says, uh, where are you going? I said, Detroit. She went, fucking Detroit. You're not going to Detroit. And I said, no, I'm going with his brother and everybody, but they got me a ticket. So she said, who are you going to see? I went, I, I got no idea. And uh, so then I get ready. They pick me up. Off we go to Detroit, you know. They say, yeah, we're going to Cobo Hall. I'm like, okay, that could be anything. I don't know. So fucking gigantic arena. And then I'm like, wow. And it's just got Kiss everywhere. And I said, why did you say Kiss? They went, that's what we're going to see. And I was, you know, yeah, it sounded like a, a, some kind of a, a British summer resort kind of band. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right, okay. And then the show happened and I was like, I walked out of there thinking <clears throat> I didn't understand it. I just thought it was the most amazing thing. Yeah. <clears throat> the music of course was just regular music, rock and roll or whatever. But, um, but the theatrics, I was, it just blew my mind. I was like, fucking hell. I didn't realize you could do that. I'd never seen something like that before. <clears throat> and so I, I, I was so impressed by that, but I think, yeah, I think the difficulty is with a band like Kiss is you had such a, uh, uh, you know, we find it too. We find it too. You know, I get criticized for that with the, the Venomate thing, you know, because people go, uh, you know, playing all this old material, you should focus on the new material. But then uh, when we focus on the new material, people go, why are you playing yeah. some of you the can't classic? Play everybody. You know? 
yeah. you can't, you know. So, but I think it's a, <clears throat> I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance. That's what I mm. was trying to do. Interesting, you said about the deep cuts because uh, that's what I kept trying to do in the last kind of ten years. I would uh, dig down for tracks that people would never have heard played. Um, even at the time, um, mm. but maybe a favorite B side, you know, De Dead of the Night, Lady Lust, where, you know, Cry Wolf or something, something from uh, what we're saying, anything that was like, I really dig that track, but but I would never have heard that live because they were, yep. you know, you have to play black metal, you have to play with, you know, you have to play Countless Bassery. So, what are the ones that you would never hear? And so I was digging those out, you know. So put a couple mm. of classics at the mm. end, make the set interesting so it goes through all kinds of periods and, and look for gems that is a B-side or, like you say, a real deep cut that there's a bonus track somewhere uh, and uh, pull them out. And I think that makes for a good show. But I, 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 I'm, I'm like you, you know. When I go and say a live show, I want it to be... If you're going to say Rammstein, it's choreographed, of course, mm. but, it, but it's live, it's just happening, you know. And I, and I, I love that. The connection to the mm. band and the music mm. but uh, I think when it becomes kind of a cabaret type of thing like the Monty yeah. Cruise thing it's like oh, God. yeah it's kind of nostalgic yeah. but it's also you know I don't know it, it, it misses the, the heart and the soul of the thing and once you don't connect to that uh, then it's you know it's just a visual and it's like yeah it looked okay but but you know music is about connecting to to you so you you know you come out there and you can't speak you screamed your mm. bollocks off all night and it's just like the whole thing overwhelmed you and uh, yeah so I, I I think it's a bit shallow at times yeah 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 it's interesting about the crew isn't it you know you raised some really good points in there the thing about the crew is they they were last relevant when John was in the band John Karabi was in the band in 1994. And yeah. they are basically a vaudeville act at this point in time. I mean, I mean, look yeah. at bloody Vince for God's sakes. He doesn't look fit and healthy. <laughs> no, he definitely doesn't <laughs> look fit. And he definitely doesn't look healthy. And his voice, his voice. You know, I mean, as you age, your voice changes anywhere. Um, mm. But um, if you, 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 I guess if you like an older artist, you could kind of look at <clears throat> the Stones. You know, I mean. You know, yeah. Mick and Keith, they're like 500 years old, you know, so they were there before we had the wheel. <laughs> and, um, you know, but you go and see them and they're still playing and they're still singing. They're still on point. Okay, you may be a little kind of, you know, how many times you want to hear Jumping Jack Flash or something like that. or, or see just, uh, But it feels spontaneous. It still feels spontaneous. It feels right. like they're yeah. out there to play and they play every song as if they mean it. And uh, and they're still on point, I think, for the most part. But um, if you just do a Vince Neil, uh, no offense to anybody, but if you do a Vince mm. Neil and you you know you you make your money, you've done all your drugs, you've done all that party and mm -hmm. stuff, and now you just spend your money on drive-through burger places and sitting eating all the time, and you don't bother singing and you don't bother with music, and then jump back on the bike, you know, you've got to train first, haven't you? You can't do an Iron Man if you haven't trained. You know, you could probably do the first ten minute run, and then you're fucked, and you don't do yeah. any of the other parts of the sport. You know, you have to train to do that. And I think, you know, personally, I think when people walk on and off stage and they think that's enough, that you know, I'm here, you should mm. be happy, I go. 
I don't think that's enough. And especially if you're going to charge someone nearly 200 bucks or something to fucking come and see me. And then yeah. if you want yeah. to do a meet and greet, it costs you another thousand bucks to come and stand while you take, while you take a photo near me and I'll give you a couple of things, you know, even those meet and greets, you know, you go, Oh, you can bring one personal item to be signed. It's like, what? Why? Why? Yeah. It's like, well, too, too many people want to do it. It go well, reduce the amount of people who can do it, um, mm. or you know, do something else. You know, it's like uh, I always had a problem with things like that because people would say, "Do you want to do a meet and greet?" And I go, "Yeah, okay, sure." And then, uh, particularly in America, they'd want to do these VIP meetings and pay for them, and I don't mind that mm. um, if the fans get quality, which means first. Um, you can chat to them. They they have a, a, a more than just a limited 15 minutes. Uh, mm. B, they can bring whatever they want to get signed if they want. And if they don't, we'll give them stuff to sign. And B, we can give them stuff they can't just get anywhere else. They can't go to the match stand again. Mm. Um, so you can actually interact with them. That's truly, that's the point. That's the special thing about it, you know? It's like, no, come in. We'll give you a badge. We'll give you a, a picture. We'll give you an... Uh, you can get into the gig early and you can stand in front of us, mm. not touching us while we take a picture. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> and I always forget, you know, people, they go, well, you know, you could charge this and people will come in. And yeah. I say, yeah, but my problem is that because it's me, we would do that and someone's paying, I don't know, 70 bucks. Then I go outside and stand and have a cigarette with everybody and do exactly the same for nothing. Yeah. So it's like, well, I don't know. I feel bad for the people who've just paid for something different. If I didn't give them something special, you know. So, mm. yeah, it's all. It's all. A, the, people say to me, "Yeah, well, it's business, Tony," and that's the business side. And it's like, okay, yeah. you're just marketing it, so it, it becomes uh, just like everything else, which is fine, I guess, on a level. But for me, um, that's why I love the punk thing and the whole idea of that was because mm -hmm. punk was just about you and me, just like chatting, having a beer, having a smoke, then I'd pop on stage, you get in the crowd, we'd both have a great time and then we'd have a beer afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was how I loved it, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, look, it's it's interesting in your position. You're basically the biggest underground band in the world ever, okay, and you do have that punk ethos. It It's, yeah, you, do, you thoroughly deserve all of the riches the good Lord can throw at you at this point. There's no doubt about that. But it's about that balance, isn't it? It's about what feels right. And you, I think your statements there just nailed it. Yeah, well, that, that's very nice of you to say. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> yeah, I think it's about, you know, it's what uh, Lemmy said. Two things to me when, when I asked him, when I got the chance to ask him, like, you know, how, how you know, what should I, how should I do it, you know? Mm. Uh, um, before he went, you know, it's like, a, a, you know, how to conduct yourself yeah. in regard to your music. And he said, always be good to your fans and always be honest. And that's it. There yeah. is no more than that. And, and funnily enough, the more honest you are, the more people will attack you because they think you're up to something because they're up to something. Yeah. <laughs> so they go, well, why would you do that? Because there must be reason you're doing that because I would only do that if X, Y, Z. And it's like, mm. no, I'm doing it because... I want to do it. And that's as simple as it is. Uh, and you keep it that, that, you know, when you try and contact a lot of artists, for example, as well, you know, you go through a myriad of red tape and stuff. Even if you know them, you have to still go through the, to jump through hoops to, to get to talk to them. If you're, you know, on the other side of the planet or you're trying to contact, uh, yeah. 
Whereas <clears throat> for me, I try and get people can come direct. I might still have to take them through the protocols <clears throat> afterwards, but I'm always available to, to yeah. be direct because that's what's important. And it's important to me. So it's what I would want as a, as a, as a person. Um, so I want them to have that, you know? And mm. so everything that I do and the way I view it, um, particularly myself, is from me being a fan. What would what would be cool for me, yeah. then that's, I know that's going to be cool for someone else because it was cool. It would be great if, if it was me, you know? Um, but you have to keep it from your heart. It has to mean something. And if you go on and you go out or you do your things and it doesn't mean anything uh, and you're just about the money to it, then uh, you disconnect to the whole, for me, you disconnect to the whole reason. Maybe for someone else, that's the point, you know, um, like the old days when people go, why, you know, um, you joined a band to get pussy. It's like, you don't need pussy. You don't need to be in a band to get pussy. Mm. And they go, oh, you get more pussy if you're in a band. It's like, well, you can get more pussy doing a lot of things, you know, but that's not why you would do it. And it's if you want it for fame, you know, more people than enough. Incredible musicians, incredible bands, incredible music don't get famous all over the planet. And if you want it for money, you can talk to probably 98% of the musicians on the planet who go, I'm fucking broke, yeah, but they're exactly. still doing that. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it does, it's not about all those things. Those things are fortunate and they happen um, um, if, if you maintain yourself and if, some, if you find yourself in the right uh, connection. But it's not the reason you do it. <clears throat> and even talking to younger bands or younger artists, you know, who may have even been doing it 10 years or, or, or longer in some cases, mm. and they said to me, you know, we just needed that break and I'm not going to do it anymore. And, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I deserve it. It's like, well, nobody deserves Oof, it. Yeah, it's, it's a tough happens, one. Yeah. You know? But it's like, yeah. if at any point in whatever you do, if at any point you uh, uh, give up, you decide, uh, okay, I've put too much work into this. It's not working. So fuck it. Um, you don't, you're not Usain Bolt and you don't win that gold medal. You know, mm. at any point he could have given up on his career and thought, you know, I can't be asked to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I can't be fucked to do this competition anymore. I'm bored with it. Um, he, he wouldn't have won the gold medals. You know, what made him run for those gold medals? And like I told my daughter, even in that state, why would I go into a race that knowing that if I ultimately trained every day of my life, uh, uh, sacrificed everything to go into a race where I was going to run against Usain Bolt, and I knew he was going to finish before the gun had even stopped firing, hmm. why would I do that? Because it becomes about you. It becomes your challenge. It becomes your success. And I might not. I might go into the race thinking I'm going to try and beat him. But if I get a, a silver medal or a bronze medal, that means I'm in the top three in the world. Yeah. So that becomes my goal. So you set your goals for yourself. And I think that's 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 the main thing about that. Keep the connection to who you are, not what the prize is. Just be who you are and do it, be it honestly. And the riches are amazing. You know, mm. you don't need, you, you, you might not need all the money in the world anywhere. You know, so, um, but if you get to, you know, come to Australia, go to Japan, go to Asia, go to Russia, go to, and you get to meet incredible people yeah. and have an amazing time and get to share music, fucking hell, is, is that not 
that's that's better than having five million bucks and just living in Malibu, staring at the sea every day by <laughs> myself. I think anyway. And that philosophy is precisely why Are They is such a tremendous album to this day. I, I can't believe how strong that album is even now, all these years after it was released. Five years, can you believe it? And now here you are again. You're back with There's Only Black. And, look, they're, they're studying contrast both albums, aren't they? They're very different albums. And I've had There's Only Black, I think I've had it for about a month or so now. Okay. Um, okay. And there's a whole bunch of superlatives that I could throw at you about it. But my the, the question that I came to after really thinking about it was, Ave is a hell of an album, and so is this. But did you did you feel a lot of pressure and expectation? And you kind of answered it in some ways to follow up on Ave. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's an obvious question because I guess this is our sophomore. Ave was our first one as Venomy, but. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I kept as the main uh, as the main kind of root of the whole thing was, you know, because what do you, how do you approach it? Do you, you know, do you base it on how you sounded before, um, on past uh, 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 makings, past records, past music? And, and one thing I still did to Mantis at, at the very beginning, you know, before we began all of it was. Um, when when searching for how should we approach it is like we just play we just write and we play because it's your identity you know nobody could hear a, a, a Jimi Hendrix like just say because it's an extreme part or a Steve Vai or a Yingri Malmsteen and mistake it's another guitarist mm. nobody would hear let's say in this case you know a, a um I don't know a, a Bob Catley or or a Vince Neil and mistake them as being another singer or an Aussie, you know, or a Rob Halford. You know, it's yeah. about that distinction, you know. And within the music, okay, you know, you you the, the guitars are the leading and 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 the, the vocals maybe, but there's other factors too. You could tell who Cozy Powell was when he was playing, or John Bonham. You know, Absolutely. or, or, or Keith Moon. So it's like you know, or John Lord. So there's a keyboardist. You know, if you're if you're uh, uh, distinctive enough, and that's that's the thing. It's about the personality. And I said, if you you disconnect your personality and try to be something that you're not, it will fail um, because it's dishonest. You know, um, that's not to say I can't play Breaking the Law or or God of Thunder. But I'm not those people playing it. Those people wrote it and played it, but they meant it to. You know, mm. and the key is, even if you haven't done the composition, the key is when it means something to you and you perform it in that way, it becomes something. So that was the key to that I said to Jeff, just we have to be ourselves. Whatever it is, is us. And that's the beauty of it. So we don't need to, it doesn't need to be like a, a black metal or a primeval or, or yeah. a, an empire. It doesn't need to be anything. It just needs to be whatever it is right now. And so that was the approach. And on RV, I think um, it was Jeff's first major, major production for a label. Uh, we, he produced the em empire stuff, of course, but this was a big thing for him. Yeah. And uh, they offered us producers, but he wanted to produce it. So I said, yeah, then you should. And they said to me, do you think he can do it? And I said, of course, He who knows us better than him? So, mm. and he did an amazing job. We, you know, I was there, we, we worked through production together and we had Kale, uh, a friend of ours, uh, who's an engineer, studio engineer, who worked really heavily on it for us, uh, with us. 
and uh, the result was was what it was and and it had all that richness we really enjoyed and got really into it so mm. it was a rounded it was a heavy production it was kind of you know rich in in depth um but when we got to this one of course we had pandemic so there's only black yeah. it was a, a different approach we we started to write after 2019 i had to have a hip operation so we finished vakin was the end of our season and i said well look i'm going to recuperate for 6 to 8 weeks maybe 12 um at that time i didn't know so i said why don't we i'll come to portugal and we'll just stay in your studio and we'll just write towards the new album mm-hmm. the idea of putting it out in 2020 and then go straight back on tour of course as we know the world went on pause for 2 years so uh, i then thought well we don't have pressure of touring um we can't release immediately so why rush let's just take our time so we uh, we were planning to visit each other um but we just kept being restricted so we ended up doing it remotely i mm. wrote uh, 12 songs jeff wrote 12 songs and we shared those and then we sent them to Jeremy Kling in in Tampa Florida yeah. and he mm-hmm. went in and put his drums down and then I came back to me I put my bass down went back to Jeffy put the guitar down they all came back to me up a vocal down <clears throat> and then that was it we kind of mixed them or Jeff mixed them and then we looked at what we had and thought this this yeah this this sounds great it, it mm-hmm. was very much like we, we used the internet the zoom and all of that kind of stuff to talk and to play riffs through and change you know if there was any changes or whatever so we still did it as a as a real band each in our own studios as analog as we could do it and um and so the re- the recording process was slightly different uh only slightly though um and but the the the, the completion of it was very different to what we got to do on our vet um but then kale uh, uh, was in hospital I couldn't go to Portugal so Jeff was kind of man on spot and it was like just go with what you feel you know we we've done all these live shows you know several hundred live shows all over the world said you know the essence of us is that live whatever it is the power yeah. that 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 drive that ferocity we need to put that into the record and so he he reduced gains on the on the bass so it isn't overly distorted it was kind of heavier on on um, the heavily the heavier distortion on on Ave he also mm-hmm. did that with his guitar cuz he doesn't use a lot of effect on there you know bit of distortion bit of chorus so he pulled that back and kept it a bit drier and then we let uh, Jeremy Kling just said listen you know you have to go with what you feel so there was no drum map there was just start the song play what you feel and that's what it is and so i think this one in a way is less controlled and more us in 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 a live vibe yeah, than on yeah 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 it's interesting you bring up jeremy was there was he the obvious choice because i'm i'm sure you're mates with barker so did you even talk to barker about coming in well no with that you know for for doing the album uh, um You know, we just did some shows with Nick. I got him to do the Black Metal Anniversary shows. Yes, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, and uh, I asked Dave Lombardo at first as well because, but uh, because there was only two people I could think to ask. But uh, <laughs> he was busy with a testament thing, yeah. uh, and then I thought, oh, okay. And then I was going to give up, and then I just sat one day and thought, shit, Nick, Nick, Nick. So yeah. I called Nick, and Nick was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh my god, great. So it was brilliant. But um, now I think. <clears throat> 
when Abaddon had gone, uh, Jeremy had sat into depth for him with the intention, I suppose, that Abaddon was going to come back is what I thought. Yeah. Nobody had actually told me yeah. any different. Um, certainly Abaddon hadn't spoken to me when he went uh, and didn't speak to me all the time. So I just thought, okay, well, I guess someone knows, but it's not me. So I just, uh, Jeremy was going to sit in and Abaddon would return once he'd had his baby. Abaddon never came back. Jeremy stayed on the stool because we just kept gigging. Yeah. And um, and that was a fait accompli. When it came to doing the album, I think uh, it was no point going outsourced. We thought, well, Jeremy knows how we play now. He'd really focused on, on, on how me and Jeff work together. Uh, on a sonic level as well and he just seemed to fit that so we just thought well let's Jeremy has to play on this which he did and uh, mm. the result I was so happy about it. I was so happy about it. I mean it, you know um, yeah the world was open and having Nick would have been amazing but I think uh, there's something about Jeremy that he he really wanted to do the job and so he really focused so much on learning not just the songs when we play live, for example, but but on the technique, you know. It's very hard to play something like Live Like an Angel, uh, a, a B-side of the very ever first Venom single. It's mm -hmm. very hard to play that live, and and I want people to feel like it's the first time they've ever heard it. Yes. Uh, so it should have that retro feel, but it should also feel like it's vibrantly happening now. And Jeremy would go and listen to how Abaddon approached the drums and and play that. And it's very difficult to play them kind of not as well as you know you can play them. So play them like you, but still give them that old school vibe. And somehow Jeremy manages to balance that thing out. So I think from from my part, definitely to be able to do this only black and let Jeremy just be himself. Mm. I think that was why I wanted to wanted him to do that. So say this is an opportunity where you're not playing an old school song, you know, because he never even played on all of it. You're not trying to copy something we've done. You, you can just let go and be everything that you are in every way you want to be and uh, and see what that result was. And I was quite confident that he would be uh, splendid. And mm. I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear him play, it just just excites me. I just I just love it because of his playing, you know? So, so oh, yeah, it was works. a good choice. There's no question it works. It sounds great. But I've got to be frank, mate. I got very excited when I saw you and Barker together in a recent photo. And I thought uh, something yeah, might yeah. have been going on because I've spoken to, to Nick a couple of times and, you know, I've, I've written a book. You were in it too, by the way, my book, my recent book, uh, based on our uh, last conversation, but so was Nick as well. And, uh, you know, Stuart Anstis recently passing uh, from Cradle of yeah. Filth, unfortunately died, you know, and, uh, you know, the tremendous impact he had, you know, I think I'm just waiting to see Nick get back into a, you know, a band like you guys, you know, like a, a stated, a, a world-class band. And he just, no disrespect to the ba other bands that he's been working with, but I think he needs to get back into a band like a Ben and Nick in order to sort of do his great talent yeah, justice I mean, again. I think I think I agree with you, and I think that's why you know that's why it was a, it was a good choice. Um, uh, and he wants to do more of the black metal shows if we do those. Mm. Um, but I think I felt the same kind of thing. I just thought, you know, here's a, a an elder statesman who's mm. uh, done his done his work, done his job, is one of the premier underground drummers, certainly in the UK, he's the drummer mm. to go to, you know. And uh, and I just I, I just connect with him very easily. And 
<clears throat> as as does Jeff, you know, and um, yeah, so to be able to have him there, and I think I agree, and I I, I didn't say there wasn't more to come, so but but it, to have <laughs> him doing <laughs> to have him doing yeah, but to have him doing those two things, yeah, it was amazing, to, you know, to turn round, you know, because there's only three of us in the band, so to turn round and and Nick sitting up there. You know when we were doing Alcatraz, uh, but mm. Bloodstock Festival, which we did at three o'clock in the afternoon, and we're we're playing this set. The first time we played the whole black metal album, it's never been played before. <clears throat> and I know you know even people going like uh, uh, Dolan because obviously the Chronophiles and all of those will be going. Ah, that's not fucking. He shouldn't be. And that it's like, well, my, all I can say is they came to ask us. They didn't come to ask anybody else to do it. Mm. But because they knew we could do it, so uh, we go and do that. But to be able to do that, and you turn around and you have a you know dark funeral and and a machine head and all, all these people standing on the stage <laughs> with twenty three thousand people in front of you, and then I turn around and I'm I'm looking at Nick Barker set standing going, oh, we did it. It was mind blowing. It was amazing. So yeah. I think we'd all like to have a bit more of that. So yeah, watch this space. Watch this space. Look, I hope I can ask about Jeff's health, if that's cool, but is he back on track? You know, I know the heart attack thing a couple of years ago really knocked him about. Yeah, he's good. I think it's uh, physically, you know, physically, it was a hereditary thing. You know, his father, back when he was only young, and uh, when Jeff was only young, and and it was a kind of hereditary thing. He didn't realise, you know, was happening. Uh, uh, But uh, they fixed uh, him, and uh, so physically... He looks better, you know. His, he, he, you know, uh, uh, eleven weeks later, after the uh, um, the heart surgery, we were on stage, and and I turned around, and at one point I thought, "Fucking hell!" He literally looked like he was twenty two years old. You know, he had this pure <laughs> skin, and not like me, saggy old twat with cigarette skin. You know, but there was this young, and I was thinking, well, I kind of fancied him myself." You know, I thought, "Wow, yeah, he looks." <laughs> But you know, he, he just looked vibrant. Um yeah. but then when he came off stage, he looks very tired, you know. So it obviously takes the energy uh, as well. Um because of where they where they did his chest, you know, it's it's fused, so you, he feels like he can't expand it enough to get the air oh, in. Jeez, yeah. It kind of feels like when we've been on stage and he's working really hard, because like I say, we throw it down on stage. It's a hundred percent. We don't mm-hmm. give fifty. We don't mm-hmm. get sixty. We give a hundred percent. And 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 if if we're feeling shit before we go on, so we're feeling forty percent. We give forty percent. You know what I mean? Whatever we've got in our tank goes on the floor. Yeah. And um, and I think that now he just sometimes he's thinks he's shallow breathing, so he loses energy and stuff. But you never can tell in performance. Only only afterwards in the dressing room. Um, mm. But that being said, he's still vibrant and still fit. But I think it's his mind, you know. Um, and it's a weird thing because, you know, if he, you say, oh, my God, I, my, I lost my child, I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I lost my uncle, I lost my house, I lost my marriage, I lost my dog, my cat, my fish, whatever it is, you know, there's, there's always a way you can talk to people because they've lost things too, you know, because we all lose things. Yeah. So... Um, you know, your friends can kind of talk to you, your brothers and your, your siblings, and, you know, we, they can talk to you and, 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 and it kind of helps in a way. Or you can even go to people who talk you through those experiences and they can help you on a psychological level. However, with death, it's a bit odd because you either die or you don't. And uh, uh, But to die and then come back, which is what happened to him, mm. uh, even for a few minutes, is like, 
how do you talk about that? How do you understand that? I, 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 so there's a limit to what we can discuss to, to, to give him an understanding, you know, and mm. when it happens to people like this, they, they try and understand it. And it's almost like you've touched the void. You've touched, yeah, you know, you're going right to the outer reaches. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like the whole the whole idea of the album. Initially, it was going to be called Nine. It was based on Dante's Inferno's Nine Circles uh-huh. of Hell. And I, I was doing this journeyman's travel through his life from birth to death and all of the things that humanity do in between. And it was in two parts. And then, uh, you know, we were exchanging, working, and then Jeff sent a song through and said, oh, here's a song. Do you want to have a listen to this? He, uh, and he said, I kind of got lyrics and it's based on my death experience. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, like kind of like an exorcism. And he said, yeah, in a way. Um, but I, I just, um, I said, what's it called? And he said, well, when I went, I didn't see anything. I didn't see any angels or lights, anything. It, there was there was just black. So I've called it There's Only Black. And the minute he said that, it was like, that's the album. That's the album title because yes. it, it elicits so much uh, uh, of, of what humanity is. You know, what's in a black hole? What we think? Yeah, we think. Well, it must be. Yeah, it must be. But the only way you could be sure is if you could go in and find out. But, of course, if you go in, you can't come back out. So you, I could go in and go, oh, my God, this is not what I thought it was. But I couldn't come back and tell you. And the same thing with death and the same thing at the end of the universe. You know, we this is what happened. But what is it the end of the universe? What is on another planet? Is there life in the universe? What happens after life? Um, you know, what's in a black, you know, we're constantly pushing boundaries and asking questions throughout our life of what is the meaning? What is the meaning of things? Why are we here? Mm. So I, I kind of it just encapsulated all of those things. And I thought with energy um, with light, you know, if we turn off all the stars, there's only black. If our sun goes out, there's only black. Um, if you turn off all the lights in your house on an evening and turn off all your electricity, there's only black, you know? It's like once you take the light away from everything, there is nothing. And what is light? It's the font of energy, but it's also knowledge, you know? It's, people talk about light and knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, Lucifer was the light bringer. What does that mean? Well, he was a light bringer. He brought light to people, people Great. in the dark. Yeah. Who didn't so mm-hmm. it just was like, wow, that is it. So even using the black hole on the front, is it a black hole? Is it an eyeball? Is it a, a void? What is it? Is it just a ball of energy? Is that all there is? You know, I don't know. But if you come into the album, come into the black hole, come into whatever you think it is, maybe you'll find something inside. So it's kind of like an invitation in. Um, so yeah, from from that point of view, they, that that changed uh, the whole thing for me, the whole theme of it. And even on the cover, you know, using using the font I use, I tried to put the logo on. Yeah, because people initially went like, "What is that? Where's the logo?" And it's like, "Well, you don't need the logo." And so someone even went to me, but hey, Tony, if you don't put the logo on there, how are people going to know it's Venomig? I said, well, what the fuck does it say on the front? Yeah. It says Venomig. <laughs> so I said, they're going to know because they're going to say that. Yeah, but you know what I mean about the logo? I said, but it's, the logo is, again, it's a, it's, a, it's something else. That font I saw in a, a famous uh, Highgate, uh, Highgate Cemetery in London, in North mm. London where I live, it was a very uh, famous uh, cemetery. They have a lot of famous uh, renowned people buried up there and a vampire cult and everything. I was just going through and I saw that on a gravestone and that again just spoke to me. I thought that's got to go on the cover. There's meaning to that, you know, the, mm. the, um, 
the, the 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 being that was is in the grave is long gone, but yet we still give meaning to it by words, and we created writing, and we created uh, communication, and we put that on someone's grave. So who are we talking to? What are the people who don't know that person? You know, to make that person mm-hmm. exist for longer than they actually, you know, all those kind of like cerebral questions were like mm-hmm. running around my head. So I I just thought this this is. Uh, this is the epitome. If you want to find out what the band's like, you know, you might see it for its face value, or you might want to explore a bit. Um, uh, but it gives you some depth to it on on different levels. And when then when you come and see us, it's purely about the energy and the music that we yeah. share. So you, hopefully, you get the best of everything. Yeah, but uh, yeah, comparison wise, we didn't. We it, it was its own entity. We couldn't follow RV by going right let's make it like RV or let's combine mm. the two or let's I mean come to me the last single which is one of my tracks I guess that was a bridge track I felt that had that atmosphere and stuff oh, I was going to ask the... you I was going to bring that one up I think I said that feels like it could have been from those sessions is that is that yeah, what it was yeah, yeah okay yep. no 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 uh, again though it was, it was a composition it was a composition just that uh, I did as spontaneously as I do all my work. You know, mm. Jeff will kind of write and catalog things and pile them up and put have tapes here and tapes there. And, and I just like will sit down and just let it happen. So it's spontaneous. Whatever mm. comes to me, comes mm. to me, and I don't question it. Then once I have it, I pass it off for other people to go, this bit's good, that bit's or whatever. But that one just came in a one and I think um, – I think it, it it just felt immediately like it was a bridging track between the two. It felt okay, like I get you could yeah. Say yeah. it could be from those sessions, but it wasn't intentional. I guess it was just then you find that, oh, that my personality is on that record because this sounds like it could be being on that record. Mm. Um, but again, just personality, not intentional. Um which is why I thought that was a good track to have. And then Andy Pilkington did the video and I, uh, and I, I said, like, you have to have that atmosphere because I wanted to bridge across. Because mm-hmm. um, the first two singles might have felt a bit jarring, like, well, oh, this doesn't sound like Arvey. In fact, someone had said that. No, these don't sound like Arvey. I, ho- I mm-hmm. hope the, the next album is is more like, because I loved Arvey. And it's like, well, this is the tip of an iceberg. You've, you've got a journey to go on yet. Don't, you know, you don't yeah. go like, right, we're not going any further when you don't know how far you've got to go yet, you know, you, uh, you wait, wait till you know and then make a decision later, you know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, it doesn't sound like Primeval either, which certainly are they didn't sound like either. And, uh, and Primeval's, you know, one of the all-time metal albums, let's face it, but it's you sort of, I'm not saying you can't follow it up, but there's no point in trying because it's its own beast. Yeah, you know, one of the, I've got to say, one of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful things I always liked about Venom, uh, you know, in the early days, because we go back to the beginning of the crime and and, uh, and we're all mm. friends, but what I think I always loved about them, which didn't happen with a lot of bands, was that every time they put a release out, it was full call like the one before. Like, you mm. know, if you, you, you can't put Warhead with Manitou, with Die Hard, with Bloodlust, in league with Satan, I mean, they're nothing like each other. Mm. And then if you think of uh, comparative, if you think of Welcome to Hell, against black metal, against the war with Satan, and then even Possessed. It's like, they don't sound, they're the same band, they're the same people, but production is totally different, the compositions are totally different, the approach feels different. So it's like, but that's, that's, that shouldn't that be like that? You know, everybody wants Metallica to do Master of Puppets again. (laughs) 
Tom Maria recently said again, I, I read recently that Tom Maria saying, you know, yeah, everybody wants us to do another Rain and Blood, right, but it, was never, mm. it would have never happened um, because Rain and Blood was Rain and Blood. And it's like, yeah, why? Why? You know, of course, I love Rain and Blood and I love Master of Puppets and it would be great to have more of them. But why? Isn't no, that what makes it. them great? Because they stand out amongst the rest of the things. You know, mm. you even you even use the example with the kiss show that you went to see. You know, yeah, it's okay to play, you know, the, some cuts and stuff like that, but you want to hear those songs. I want to hear those songs, you know? And that's not Peter Chris, Ace Freely, Paul Stanley, and Gene Simmons up there, but it doesn't matter. It still says kiss, you still get to hear those songs, and those are the songs that you like and you want to hear those. Yeah. You know, for those guys, they've been playing them 50 years, but for you, it's the first time you saw kiss, so you want to hear those songs live, you know? Um, so I guess it, 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 it's that at the end of the day. It's, it's uh, uh, having that, you don't have to repeat it when you record, you know. Uh, it, it should be you now because then it's honest. Uh, you know, there's no way if the Sex Whistles did another album, you know, 10 years after they'd done uh, Nevermind the Bollocks, it wouldn't have been like Nevermind the Bollocks. Very different. And people would have compared it because... They were different people. They were older. They were. They weren't. You know, maybe they had some aggression, but maybe it was different aggression. You know, when I was young, it was like fuck my teachers, fuck my parents, fuck everybody. Uh, you know, uh, the world feels hopeless. You know, ten years later, it was a fuck my boss, fuck my job, fuck my electricity bill. You know, and ten years later, that's like oh fuck my wife, fuck my ex, fuck my whatever. You know, so you still have the anger, just changes who is directed at, mm. and and. And and you you become a different person. So at each stage that you record, there's different things that have influenced you to to speak out at that point. And so um, uh, uh, I, I I think that's why every everything should be of the moment. And mm. then it's really honest. Uh, you know, if ten years later you go, yeah, let's remake black metal, you end up with metal black and people going, what, uh, yes. you know, why was that ever going to work? It's never going to work because, you know, you're trying to plagiarize yourself. You can't plagiarize yourself. You know, it will never feel real, you know, because you're not that person anymore. So I think that's the approach to keep them different, keep them, you will not different on purpose and not the same on purpose. Just do what you do now. And that's what it is. And then if everybody loves it, you're winning yeah. uh, and you, you know, you've got your cars like James Hetfield and you're living in your fucking big house. And if everybody hates it, and you're back on the door or you're having need surgery like Paul Diano and you'll be doing some uh, retro shows. Yeah. That's a risk. But does that mean you don't do it? Uh, no, it doesn't. If it's, if it's who you are and the musician that you are and you believe in what you're doing, then just be honest. The rest, will work or will not work, but you're not in control of that. Mm. Just on that, the two band situation there, you can clearly sell where my allegiances are based on what I've listened to and how I got into the group, which is through Prime, when we last talked about Primeval and stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, look, I mean, when we talk about the deep cuts and we go deep into your legacy, okay, 
I don't think of you guys as a legacy band, I must confess, because I love what you what you, Arvo just seemed to re-kick everything off. Now you've got this killer album here, which I just haven't lived long enough with yet, but I'm sure I will. I, I love it, but it's just a case of I need to live with it a, a bit longer in order for it to be like Arvo, where, you know, five or six drinks into your night, you, I put an Arvo, this sort of thing, you know, and it's just one yeah, of those yeah, things that sort yeah. of happens. But but what about, ten, what about Temples of Ice and, and the Wastelands? Now, they were recently remastered. Now, I know it was done yeah. for cassette and vinyl. Now, were you guys involved in that? Yeah, well, that funny enough, that took me tw- took me twenty years to get those uh, things mm. like mm. back. Um, you know, there was their box set. Or I guess there'd been a couple of anniversary releases, a couple of box sets and stuff, and then uh, they, and and that was you know, like I say, 18, 20 years ago. And then uh, someone had started to ask her, like, are you doing that with your stuff? And I was like, uh, well, no, I don't think so. Maybe they are. I don't know. And then I kind of started to put some feelers out and found out uh, where they were. The masters were sanctuary at the time. And uh, and they said I could, they weren't intending on doing anything, but I could license uh, Primeval at £500 a track if I wanted to. And I was like, eh, fucking hell. So I was like, right, well, I don't have the money and then I've got to produce it and then put it out. And I was mm. like, well, I'm not a record company. I'm just a guy in a band. So I thought, yep. well, I can't I can't do that. So I just left it. When I asked about the other product, they went, yeah, we, we don't know where that is, but we're not intending on doing anything. So every year I kind of made an inroad to inquire if if they had a full catalog, what they had, could we, blah, blah, blah. Nothing, nothing was coming forward. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, it took me all of that time until uh, Dissonance Records put out uh, my Atom Crash stuff, um, or the Atom Crash stuff, which of course I'm part of. And mm. uh, they re-released all the stuff in T-shirts and stuff. I was like, what? How the fuck? How are they doing that? And then mm. they put Primeval out on CD and vinyl. So I went straight to BMG, uh, um, who now have the masters and ownership. Um, I had some great people, uh, uh, Mars and Pete, helping me there. Uh, were brilliant. They they tracked down to say that they they whoever gave them license to do the primeval had absolutely no rights because they hold the rights. So they stopped them producing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, you know, let me know how the Atom Craft thing had happened and how they got that. Uh, oh, sorry, and how they yeah. managed to get those tracks. Uh, so. Um, and that while we were doing all of that, I thanked him very much. And I said, Is, could you give me like a rundown of the catalog that you've got? Because I could never get it from Sanctuary. I tried to Universal and it was all over the place. Mm. And I don't know if the, 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 the drive at the time was because we weren't doing, uh, it was pre-Empire of Evil. And then during Empire of Evil, Kronos was signed to Spine Farm. And Spine Farm Records is a, a subsidiary uh, of, of Universal. Mm-hmm. And Universal was at the sanctuary. And of course, they had the masters. And I, it started to feel like I was being prohibited. Like yeah. uh, they wanted to protect Kronos's releases and making money from Venom. Um, and he didn't want any of my stuff going out because he wanted to eradicate that part of the history. Um, and so I, they were being prevented from me. Anyway, BMG were very helpful. They found all the stuff. They sent me the list and said, what do you want to do? I said, could you give me a license? Um, you know, I've been ripped off for 40 odd years on this mm. stuff. I've never had a penny. 
And, um, and why is it sitting in a basement somewhere when I could put it back out? And and you do a box set of black metal and welcome to hell every single year. Yeah. How many times do you want so to package that? Yeah, and it's like, I mean, I'm not saying the albums aren't great, but it's like, you should add another bonus track, charge people another 50 bucks on top just to get what what's left. Yeah, it's definitely so enough said, already, <laughs> isn't it? It's just, it's been overkill for a long time on that front. Yeah, and, and they just announced they're doing another one on the same day our album comes out. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, right. Oh, coincidence much. You're right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm like, okay. But um, yeah, so they said, like, look, so they compiled everything and they very generously said, okay, you've got the exclusive license and you can have them. Um, you do the box set or whatever, we'll give you that for two or three years. Uh, and I was like, that's amazing. So they put them up on digital platform. I got all the recordings, sent them to Jack Butcher in Texas, who uh, um, specifies as, as a specialist in, in remastering. He remastered yeah. everything just because, you know, they were... Some of the recordings were too tinny and just badly done. So he remastered them, sounded great. Uh, then Rockmark, Vadim uh, Komic at, at Rockmark in Belarus, uh, it was a business partner, my my uh, agent. Um, we uh, He repackaged the stuff up. We did a booklet. We put them all together and we released them as box sets, a box set cassette, a box set CD, and a box set vinyl, and then a separate. And the box sets... We thought limited, we'll obviously do limited numbers because everybody's just limited, 300 or one, that's collectors. Literally, we put the box set of vinyl out and it was sold out in eight hours. Yeah. And we were like, fuck. Yeah, I missed okay. out. Oh, no, uh, it just went boom. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we're going to have to redo them. We put the box set of the cassettes out, they went in a day. Box yeah. set of the CDs, <laughs> they went there. It was like, oh, shit. So, and, and people are going, make more, make more. But we thought, well, let's do something special. I mean, I've, just we just finished the box set, uh, which is an anniversary special of the Wastelands, and so we're going to do that, and then I guess compile them all a bit further uh, back into a box set further down the road, maybe yeah. with some new stuff as well. But uh, yeah, it was just a surprise, and I thought, oh, because I was thinking, you know, we're going to end up with loads anyway, um, but it'd be nice just to have them. But no, it was the other the other story. So you know, I don't think those albums, the covers weren't as good. The the metal in the in the, in the nineties was dying uh, here and across the world. You know, we had grunge and Britpop yeah, and all that. Too. So that was yeah. important. But um, but I think there's some there was some great material on there. Missed opportunity, bad album covers and bad uh, production. But uh, you know, remastering them and putting them in the box set. I don't know. There's something a bit more special about that because they're all there now. So you get, we can still have them as separate. You can buy the cassettes and the CDs. And for me, that's really amazing to be able to go to um, uh, someone I'm associated with, knowing I've got them under license and be able to see the albums, which mm. for 20 years mm. were buried and I couldn't get near them. It's amazing. So yeah, it was good. It's good. Have you, has, it, has that flowed on to people asking for songs from Temple of Ice and the Wastelands as well when you're playing or when you're doing the fan meet and greets and stuff? In other words, hopefully it's opened up the music to a new audience. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, we just, uh, even Alcatraz there, we do an Alcatraz, uh, 22,000 people at that festival in Belgium. And uh, we did the meet and greet and there was kid, a kid had like his uh, um, one copy, vinyl copy of the Wastelands. And I was like, wow, you know, not only you see like high decline in music or, or, you know, even at what we're seeing, but uh, he, he looked like he was about 18, you know, 17, 18. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And, uh, 
and primevals, I say all the time, of course, and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we, we, we actually did a show in London. Um, I think uh, was on, I can't remember what tour it was, but we did a show in London several years, a uh, uh, year or so before the pandemic, so several years ago now. And uh, Al Bonds came down to the show because he lives local to, mm-hmm. uh, to London too, like me. And when he said he was coming down, I said, yeah, bring your guitar. So he was like, uh, really? I said, yeah, bring your guitar. Why not? Just in case. So he brought his guitar down and we got him on stage doing Temples of Ice. Nice. Which people were like, oh my God. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Mm. But yeah, we put, I put Temples of Ice in the set and uh, pe- people have been asking for stuff for Wastelands Forever, Fairy Tale from Temples of Ice and In Memory Of. And, you know, so yeah. And I think, yeah, now what, what's happened quite rightly what you said but once I put the box set out is that now a young crowd base is is going yeah there's this stuff too you know I mean mean, that's the richness of Venom it's like you know pre me uh, uh, um, me or or post me you know I think if you think of Venom as a family as a huge uh, mm. um, melting family. Of course, it started with mum and dad. You know, everything starts with mum and dad. But that doesn't mean to say that the family doesn't go off and do amazing things too. And it's all part of the family when you come back for Christmas. You know, you're all in the same picture. So it's like, if you think of it in that way, it's like what a catalogue you have. Like forty years of music in all kinds of direction, hence incorporated. Mm. You know, it's like. You know, you could, we could be on stage, we literally could be on stage for four hours and probably still lose songs that people go, you never played, blah, 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 you know? But what a great position to be in when you can play, you know, a whole load of great music to people and at least one person in the audience, that's their favourite song. I mean, that's amazing. Mm. It's amazing, yeah. I'll make this one my final my final point, which is wrapped in a quick final question, which is wrapped in a point. So I've, I've had a number of chats with Riley. Sorry, I like what you did there. Thank you. <laughs> Look, I've had a number of chats with Riley over the years. You know, Riley Strong from Desecrator. Uh-huh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I got the full lowdown on that that excellent show that you did at Frankie's Pizza with him back in was it 2019 oh, or thereabouts. You know. You did yeah, that show with yeah. him back there that was sort of, it was put together, you know, you guys were on tour or you're going to come down on tour and then the thing happened with Jeff and all the rest of it. But yeah. thank, I mean, I'm in Brisbane, so I'm a thousand kilometres away from Sydney, but I would have loved to have gone. But but he told me about leaving his pedal rack in the taxi. Do you remember yes. that? Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and it almost didn't go at the gig and he was, he was already stressed and then that just sort of went to overload to the point where you go, I don't know what I'm going to do sort of thing. But what, what are your recollections of that gig? Well, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, obviously because of Jeff, so it was like, wow, well, we can't do it. We can't do it. And, 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 you know, it was just coming to Australia for that one night. Mm. So one night show. So it's kind of a long way to jump in a cab to go <laughs> just for the one show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my, I'd never been to Australia before. We'd gone down there with, with Doug and Amabel, you know, mm. from Hardline Media. And of course, we I knew the Desecrator Boys because we'd done the tour and stuff. But uh, I was so excited, and from the minute I landed to you know everywhere we went, Canberra, Perth, Sydney, you know, I, I don't know. There was just something magical about it for me. You know, I I loved the people, I loved the smell, I loved the food, I I just loved the vibe. And I loved it. Oh, my God, I'm actually in Australia. You know, like a bucket list thing, but you think, mm-hmm. am I really doing this, you know? <laughs> and so I loved it. So 
Um, uh, yeah, I was so um, so bust, burnt that we couldn't go uh, 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 to do this thing at the Christmas at Frankie's Pizza Place in Sydney. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, because I'd been so looking forward to it. But, you know, life's life. And then Doug and the guys said, well, why don't you just come down anywhere? You know, maybe you could do it with Desecrate. And I thought, that's a fucking brilliant idea. So I get to be with my Aussie buddies and, well, yeah, why not? We're just having a Christmas party, for fuck's sake. So I was like, well, if you're sure, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So that's what we did. And uh, I even got Doug, because, uh, of course, uh, uh, Doug Dalton, who runs Hotline Media, is also mm. the guitarist in Killraiser, you know? So, uh, you know, and he'd always be, he's this monolithic, you know, gigantic Australian short-wearing digger, you know, with his hair <laughs> tied up and looks like he should be driving a four-by-four across fucking, you know, Ayers Rock uh, yep. in a water, you know? <laughs> and uh, everything that I imagine this big fucking meaty, hard-nosed Australian outback guide to look like it, but with the sweetest heart and the most generous, generous, sweetest heart. I mean, you wouldn't mm. want to go down the back alley with him if you pissed him off, but, you know, <laughs> just such a generous, generous person. And uh, it really touched my soul, you know. And so we were in rehearsals. Um, we were, I went in with the guys. We were in rehearsals, who and they were brilliant. You know, they'd done their homework because they're professionals and they're so good. And uh, we got a set together that would be kind of, kind of fun to do. And Dougie was standing there. I said, Dougie, you haven't got your guitar. And he was like, what? And I said, you haven't got your guitar. And he was like, well, I'm not playing. Am I? I said, you're fucking on now. you got to play black metal. So that was it. And so to have him join on the night to play black metal was like, oh, it was so mind-blowing. Awesome. But yeah, it was, I think there was lots of, <laughs> maybe, you know, well, I I wasn't nervous. I was just excited and wanted to do it. But I think maybe from the boys, they, were, they felt a bit of pressure. But it was like, you know, we're such in Congress. We're such like kind of laid back. And, and, and I'm very, it happens. Whatever happens, happens. And that's the fun of it. So don't worry, you know, just play. Just play. It is what it is. You know, it's a moment. And, and if it goes perfectly, it's perfect moment. And if it goes not perfectly, it might not be a perfect moment for you, but it might be for someone else. Mm. And the very fact that we're there, we're doing it, it's live. It, it's If you can focus on the energy and the togetherness, mistakes can be forgiven, you know? Um, mm. But if you don't have the energy in there because you're trying to be perfect, it, then it's not going to be what it should yes. be. Yeah. So, you know, and the place was rammed. I mean, it was just, it's such a, it was such a cool place. Uh, you know, you'd had such bands on there. Um, Al had played there with his band. Everybody had played there. So, you know, to be able to do that, and it was rammed in there. It was Christmas. It was Australia. It was like, I mean, it couldn't get any better. You know, backstage, there was probably as many people as there was out front. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, Riley was like, oh, fuck, mate, my, all my wreck mate was in the taxi. I was like, <laughs> That's not good. Oh. That's not good. But I said, I said, listen, we've got a fucking amp. Just plug into an amp and play. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mm. matter at this stage. You know, it's, as long as we got a noise. I've done that myself. Got places they go, your pedal's not working or this amp's not working or, and you end up playing with totally nothing that you were going to play with. Mm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if it's inside you, that's what you're playing, you know? Yeah. The, the rest is just the technical. You know, you can, you can fucking put a nail in with a brick if you don't have a hammer. 
as long as you've got the intention to. And if you don't have a hammer or a brick, you're going to use your, you're going to find something to put the yeah. nail in. And it's like kind it. of that situation. It's like, let's just, let's just nail it down. However it goes, it goes. Uh, but we're going to make sure it's nailed down. And uh, yeah, it was just the best time. Even when I, uh, uh, people, people took pictures and said some amazing things. We had such a party afterwards. Um, and then even when I see pictures of it, every time I see the pictures of us playing, my heart just fills up, you know, mm. and, and they're mm. doing, you know, Desecrate are doing their final ever show. Um, yeah. they have messages from Gary Holt. I've done more and they're, they're trying to make a really big show. And, uh, I hope everybody can get there cause it's going to be a blinder and it's a good way to say thank you. I'm not sure if they'll ever stop, but they're, they're certainly going on a hiatus, but what a band and you know that band uh people as well but uh, their performances you know we took them out on a european tour with suffocation i think it was or no it was a oh, vital remains mm. vital remains and uh, all over europe you know just stalwarts they crewed they tech they kept going even when the typical aussies like they had like you know one chicken leg between them five days in a row and didn't complain <laughs> Slept in a gut one night, didn't complain. You know, they just yeah. were work horses. But when they went on stage, they delivered like hands down, a thousand percent every time. And it was like, what a band, what a band. And what, what a way to raise an Australian flag. So, yeah. Mm. But R Riley and the boys, just amazing, amazing, amazing boys. And uh, and uh, it was that show that, that I brought COVID back to the UK, I'm sure. I certainly oh, brought it really? back to everybody. <laughs> really yeah. You're the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, when, I, when I finished there, I had to go through fucking Hong Kong. So I went through Hong Kong and uh, and then came to the UK. And when I got back, it was like, you know, Christmas time. And uh, I was like, saw my daughter who's at university. And I said, I don't feel so good. I said, how about you? She went, yeah, I'll be, I'll, yeah, I don't feel so good. And I said, yeah, you know what I think's happened is you've brought some shit from university and you've given it to everybody. And of course it was, uh, you know, the following February, March, where they said this yeah. thing, uh, and blew up. of course it was in Hong Kong. And I was like, oh my God, I brought it here. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I might get that tattooed on me. It was my fault, you know? So COVID yeah. patient number one, British COVID patient. I tell you what, <laughs> as shit, I tell you what, as shit as that, as shit as it was, uh, and as shit as I felt, and as scary as the whole, ooh, you know, the disease, I'd still go and do it again, <laughs> even knowing it. You know, if I went back in time and they went, do you want to go and do that Australian thing again? Because when you come back, you're the one who brings it. I'd still bring it back. <laughs> I'd good still do it. Because it was so <laughs> good. We all got through it for the most part, you know. I mean, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you guys will be coming back down again soon? Has there been conversations around that? Yeah, there has. I mean, uh, we we had it penned in for the year before last, and then last year. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, next year now. Um, and where the idea is, I think, well, we're definitely coming with Exciter, with Dambila and the boys. That's right. Uh, I because, spoke to Dan about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, yeah. Because yeah. they, they never... They've never been to Australia, so, you know, they were. And I went to see them two weeks ago in London. I went to see Dan and, and uh, uh, at the show uh, and uh, the guys. And, uh, yeah, we hung out and it was it was fantastic. And, we, you know, we obviously mentioned about Australia, so we're looking to make that happen. And I think Hardline's looking to use the dates for us now. And uh, we possibly might bring Raven back down with us. So we'll make it a triple hit of uh, three, three, three. So that's six, 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 really, I guess. Six, six, six. Uh, Indeed it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
we thought, um, yeah, so um, as soon as we can. So I guess me and Danny February, March, March, April, or me okay. March, April, right okay. about there. So yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Things are starting to kick off again, and I was, yeah, I was hoping you'd say that because um, I didn't bloody get the shows last time. I had to, you know, young kids and stuff. It's hard to get out, but yeah. I was really looking forward to it, and I was so disappointed that I didn't get it. But I've got this one, mate. Next time you're in in town in Brisbane, um, I'll be there for sure. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yeah, we can great. catch up too and have a beverage, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're always a guest, so you know you you make sure you let me know when you can get to a show and, and I'll get you in touch and then you come back and then you can chat to Jeff too and you can chat to us face to face and we can have a bit of a quaff too. Nice, mate. Yeah, nice. Well, look, this this chat's just be, has been as good the second time around as it was the first time around. Uh, Absolutely. Love, love your work, brother. Um, yeah, just love what you guys are doing at the moment. More power to you and more strength to you and uh, definitely catch up with you when you come down. Bless you. Thank you so much. And uh, good to see you again. And please give your my best to your family too. And we'll see you very, very soon <laughs> next year. Absolutely, mate. Looking forward to it. Oh, I've got, have a good one. Talk very soon. No worries, mate. Talk to you again. Thanks very much again. Catch yeah. up. Bye. Bye. See ya. There he is. I always enjoy my catch-ups with Tony. He's a fantastic fella, as you can hear throughout that chat there. And I do look forward to catching up with him and Jeff when they arrive in Australia for some shows sometime, hopefully, in the near future. Maybe those April shows. They'll eventuate in that month there, but we'll see. The lads certainly want to come down, so that is 95% of it in my experience that the band wants to tour somewhere, it generally happens. Now, if you like listening to the show, maybe you like reading the book about the show, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. You can read excerpts from chats that have been posted to the podcast, well over 60 of them as a matter of fact. And there's 90 musicians that feature amongst its pages from Death to Morbid Angel, Tony, Tony and Jeff, and even Abaddon. Last time I had a chat to Tony, Abaddon was still on the band. They feature amongst the pages. Next book is, I'm halfway through writing it because I've enrolled my masters. So yes, the book is selling well and I appreciate that. God bless you if you've bought a copy. Go across to scarsandguitars.com. Click the link on the banner, you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You can download a sample, and if you do complete the purchase, let me know, because I want to thank you personally. And here's a little bit more information about the book, but before I let you go, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever.
Yeah, wise words here. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do cold chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.